Support for Tantrum comes from MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork since 2001. MailChimp, send better email. The podcast you are about to hear is about raising kids, but it's for adults. There are curse words here and talk of grown-up things. So make with the headphones. Welcome to Tantrum. Tantrum is a podcast for grown-ups about raising kids. I'm Kate. And I'm Allison. Today we'll hear from Kate Tuttle, who read at our most recent show at Kavarna, about the bedtime story that her child held most dear. It's terribly, terribly sweet and nonviolent. Although the mother bunny starts to seem a little too perfect, maybe sanctimonious even. And the first time I reach the page where she whips out a banjo to play a song <laughs> for her son, <laughs> I audibly groaned. <laughs> That story is coming up in just a few, but in the meantime, here we are broadcasting from my porch. Yeah, it is officially summer feeling here. It does. <laughs> it feels like summertime in Atlanta. My neighbors are having a party over there, so we're going to get some nice ambient sound of some music and some folks having a good time. Mm-hmm. Maybe some uh, motorbikes going by. Yep, yep. So it's been a minute. Since we recorded. It has been a minute. So uh, thanks for all of you who have been asking me when a a new tantrum's coming out because you made me feel really special. And here it finally is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For my part, so the the reason for that, like what's been going on is like work for me has been so intense these last few months um, and become more and more intense and just kind of left me at a place in which I just, I couldn't do anything, you know? I just would come home and want to watch dumb things on TV and go to bed. Yeah, you are very, very stressed out. So that has abated some now, thank God. Um, It's like one of those things you never realize how bad that is until you're just kind of getting past it and you're like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seemed... It seems like it was fairly horrible talking to you during, but you, maybe you have appropriately blocked out some of that. I'll just say it was a very challenging time in case my boss is listening. It was a challenging time. It wasn't like horrible, but it was just deeply challenging and really didn't leave much uh, emotional yeah. room for much else. So, Well, yeah, and life, life gets busy and it already yeah. is busy with these children and they're needs and flus and strep throats and all the things that they bring home. I've come to a point where I'm dreading nap time. Mm -hmm. She's dropping a nap maybe once or twice a week. And the routine of getting her down for a nap has become so prolonged and so grueling and often doesn't have great results. And I, don't, I mean, what Kate Tuttle talks about, yes, I, I am that parent, too, that, like, it's like, okay, here's three books and seven songs, and then I've set myself up for this, like, 30-minute ritual. Yeah, and I'm exhausted at the end of it. I'm so ready for a nap, and she's like, you so know. So you do this at bedtime, this ritual at bedtime and at nap time? We do. My husband usually puts her down for bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I avoid it more at that time. Does she do the same ritual with him or is it different? 
Well, yes, except I t actually, I usually do read the books and then he does the songs. And we love how much she sings. I mean, she can sing like full Suzanne Vega songs. She can sing <laughs> like... What Suzanne Vega songs? Um, Gypsy? You oh, come from far, far away with pictures in your eyes. Yes, yes she I can love that sing song. that whole song. <laughs> you guys, she's only two and a half. It's oh, adorable. So it's, the singing thing, I think we both really appreciate, you know, that she's learning and loving to sing. Yet there are times that it's like we should one or two songs is enough and then I need to stop having this like so concert in the like, middle of the day. So, so you sing like the full like five minutes of that song and then you also sing like what six other songs? Uh, yeah. James Taylor, Cowboy. I sing um, things from The Sound of Music. I sing things from 42nd Street. Okay, what's James Taylor, Cowboy? There is a young cowboy who lives on oh, the range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call it cowboy, but yes, it has an official name. So, so you can identify definitely with what Kate Tettle talks about in the story. Yes. Yeah. I'll say that for Bird, like, I was really looking forward to having a routine in which I sang to him after reading books, but he'll like play me off he'll be like okay and that's that's good you're done <laughs> like, oh, like in he the sends middle you on your way sends me on my way when i'm in the middle of one song and so he usually request it well i used to sing all the pretty horses that hush up i don't you cry go to sleepy little baby like this old like yeah american yeah. folk tune um and i sang that sang that to him when he was really little and then I sang him You Are My Sunshine a, a few times, and he was like, I like that one better. And so I'm, I'm laughing because somehow Merritt started calling her vagina her sunshine. Like, it's just how what she, how she pronounced it. I'm sorry, I'm like interrupting you. But that really funny. is not a song that I sing to her because it's just like, I can't. <laughs> And I have no problem yes. with the real names and stuff. It's just, sunshine. that's how she pronounced vagina was sunshine, and it stuck. So now we all call it sunshine. Oh, my God. That's really funny. <laughs> Maybe her husband will sing You Are My Sunshine to me. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> not to me. Please, not to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That really, that, you just, like, won a prize. Um... Yeah. So nowadays, though, I'll put him in his crib, and we have started this thing. Like he has a little um, a, a stuffed tiger that looks a lot like Hobbes, like Calvin and Hobbes, mm -hmm. Hobbes, but he calls him Tigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to say goodnight to Tigger, and then he gets a kick out of the fact that I'm saying goodnight to both of them together. But when I turn off the light and start singing "You Are My Sunshine," usually these days, I'll like start to sing it, and I'll be like "Sunshine, Sunshine." So I'll start to sing it, and then he'll be like "Night, Night, <laughs> Mommy, Night, Night," and so I'll be like, "Okay, I'm done, dude. Fine." And he just like he's like, "I'm done. You, you can leave now." That's actually a blessing there. I've been kicked out maybe twice where she's just like, "Leave, go." Is that and what I'm she so says? yeah, I'm so relieved the time that it's happened. I'm like, "Okay, thank God, I'm out of here. See you tomorrow." Yeah. <laughs> So let's hear some parental moments of glory. Uh, these are moments that you, our listeners, share. Uh, they're moments of parenting hilarity, brilliance, failure, or discovery. We also collect them from listeners at our live shows. 
And here's one from our most recent show. I told my daughter that the last line of Mersey Dotes was not, I'd kill to eat Ivy too. <laughs> so Mersey Dotes and Dozy Dotes and little lambs could Ivy, a kid'll eat Ivy too, wouldn't you? Ah. <laughs> yes, I'll kill to eat Ivy too. Ah. <laughs> And I'm just going to interject one. Do you all know the song Summertime? Summertime and the Living is Easy? That's one that we sing a lot. And for some reason, I mean, maybe I put this in her, I don't know, but she gets mad. She does the same thing. She jerks awake. If I sing, um, Your Daddy's Rich and Your Mama's Good Looking, she says, No, it's Your Mommy's Rich and Your Daddy's Good Looking. And I'm just like, All right, all right, okay. Go merit. Yeah. And remember, you can get in on this, too. You can come to one of our live shows at Kavarna, or you can call us. Share your parental moment of glory by leaving a message at 678-379-3748. That's 678-379-3748. You know, sometimes I wish that, like, I'd gotten, like, one of those phone numbers that spelled something, that it was, like, mm. 1-900-TANTRUM. Well, that's, like, annoying. Yeah. I mean, you have to have dreams. That could happen one day. It could right? happen one day, yeah. We'll just keep going mm-hmm. with this, and someday we'll have 1-800-TANTRUM. Or have we even tried to see if there's a hidden word in there? You know what? I haven't. So, there's an activity for this week. <laughs> there might be people end up being, like, <laughs> soap. All right, cool. Six, six, eight, soap. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. Um, Anyway, uh, our next show is coming up in just the next couple of weeks as of when we're recording now. Um, it's, It's Saturday, May 13th. And our readers are going to be Patty Callahan Henry, Sonia Kamal, and Bill Taft. It's going to be an excellent show. Yes, so this is Saturday, May 13th. 7 p.m. at Kavarna. So that's our business. <laughs> so that's it for the business. Let's move on to our featured reader who read at our last show. You guys ready for your next reader? I am super psyched. We've got Kate Tuttle. I love this picture so much. Kate writes about books for the Boston Globe. A board member of the National Book Critics Circle, she has also reviewed books for the LA Times, Salon, Washington Post, and Newsday. Her essays on raising children, race and politics, and coming to terms with her own 1970s childhood have appeared in Dame, The Rumpus, The Atlantic, and elsewhere. Along with her husband and son, Kate lives in Decatur, She also has a 23-year-old daughter living in Massachusetts whom she mostly sees on Instagram. Please welcome Kate Tuttle. Thank you. I have props for my top, which also are books. So thanks for coming. This is a story about literary obsession and bedtime concerts. It began when my son was about 18 months old. This guy, right there. I call it the tale of the three babies. The parenting instruction books always tell you to put your baby down when she is sleepy, not quite asleep, and let her learn to settle herself. 
If you let the baby fall asleep nursing or in your arms, you're developing a sleep crutch. Some experts will say you're handicapping your child forever. Children who never learn to self-soothe, the books warn, will grow up to be dysregulated, emotionally unstable. One sleep expert author warns that these kids are at risk for becoming criminals or sociopaths. <laughs> it's true. We had that book. It really scared me. And that's just the kid. The parents who nurse or rock or sing or read their child to sleep doom themselves to an endless string of nights nursing, rocking, or whatevering their child to sleep. This bit of advice I always found patronizing, simplistic, yet in my case, I'm ashamed to say, completely correct. <laughs> when I was very little, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of being alone in the dark, of having to fall asleep on my own. Although my mother sang to me most nights, she always left when I was still awake, and I remember how much I hated it. So when I had my own kids, I couldn't quite follow her example or the advice in the parenting books. My two children are 13 years apart. I have one from each of two marriages. The second marriage is still going on. My husband is there. Um, <laughs> makes it sound like I'm a serial divorcer. Um, anyway, so I've had the opportunity to observe, as if in a scientific experiment, the way my strengths and limitations as a parent have played out over a long period. My older child, my daughter Addie, loved to be sung to. With her, I developed a repertoire that encompassed a kind of toddler starter pack of Americana music. We sang all, Oh Susanna, You Are My Sunshine, This Land Is Your Land, Home on the Range. She also used to request that I tell her original stories. This part was much harder for me. It doesn't come naturally for me to make things up. So for the better part of two years, I told her the plot of The Wizard of Oz, letting her believe it was my own creation. <laughs> I was able to carry on with this for so long because Addie was the kind of kid who demanded that I start again at the beginning of every night. So we rarely got past the introductions of the main characters before she fell asleep. I was forced to confess, however, when she finally saw the movie and understanding gradually dawning on her little face, <laughs> she turned and glared at me in a very accusatory manner as soon as the cowardly lion had finished his song. So I stopped trying to tell her stories and went back to singing. I was still singing her to sleep each night, right up until I gave birth to her younger brother, Mac, when she was 13. As I was now nursing a new baby every night at bedtime, she immediately began putting herself to sleep. No problem. My husband was smug about it. See, she could do it all along. She didn't need you. I wasn't so sure. I've begun to suspect that when it comes to mothering, there's some kind of scientific principle at work an algorithm in which their needs expand to fill any perceived maternal space. My time and attention, a renewable resource, always on the verge of being drained, but never quite empty. Anyway, once Mac was born, I trotted out all the same old songs for him, and then I added a new one that appeared in a book he borrowed from his daycare when he was about one and a half. It was a well-loved book, so well-loved that it no longer has a cover or binding. It is nothing but a sheaf of laminated pages bound together with rings. On the cover, its official title is Hush Little Baby, but because Mac associated it with his teacher, Bill, he began calling it Bill Baby. <laughs> Hush Little Baby is a very old song, and this book contains the most traditional form of the lyrics. A mockingbird doesn't sing, a diamond ring doesn't shine. Mac, in his toddler voice, begged every night for Bill Baby, Bill Baby, 
which meant the book or the song interchangeably. Incidentally, I still owe Bill an enormous apology because we seem to still have this book in our possession (laughs) nine years later and several states away, but I'm sure he'll forgive me. Someone, I can't remember who, soon gave us another book with the exact same title. This second Hush Little Baby has slightly different lyrics. It's less old school and a little more new age. Unlikely children's toys like diamond rings and billy goats are replaced by things kids are more likely to encounter in real life, like the sound of crickets or the feel of a teddy bear. It's terribly, terribly sweet and nonviolent, although the mother bunny starts to seem a little too perfect, maybe sanctimonious even. And the first time I reached the page where she whips out a banjo to play a song (laughs) for her son, I audibly groaned. (laughs) The second book Mac took to calling Hush Baby So you can only imagine my delight when someone brought home a third version of Hush Little Baby. That someone was my husband, Kevin, here today. He was enthralled, I'm sure, by its gorgeous illustrations by Kevin, Brian Pinckney, great, beautiful children's book illustrator. Uh, I'm sure it also appealed to Kevin because it features a black family and because in this version, the father is the one who sings to the baby, not the mama, so it's different. I love it, too. But now I had to master a third version of the same song. This one starts out the same as the traditional version, but at the moment when the looking glass gets broken, leading to a billy goat, in this book, the lyrics promise that if the looking glass should drop, Papa's going to buy you a spinning top. So Max started calling this one Top Baby. (laughs) So each of these books came into our lives as a book and then lodged into Max's bedtime routine as a song. And it became a nightly concert. He asked for them to be sung to him in order, usually Bill Baby, then Hush Baby, then Top Baby, but sometimes Top Baby, then Hush Baby, then Bill Baby, sometimes something totally different. After a while, nobody knew which lyrics went with which baby, except for Mac and me, because I was the person who sang to him every night, because he is my baby and I am his mama. For the nights that I wasn't there, I typed out the lyrics. But babysitters and even his father would invariably screw up one of the babies, swap a diamond for a cricket, a billy goat for a spinning top, and Mac would go from drowsy to irritated, wide awake in a second. He was like a copy editor drunk at a bar (laughs) who would snap to attention when he spies an errant apostrophe in the beer menu. Sometimes it felt like he was a visitor from another country, and I was the only one here who could translate his language. Like a lot of parts of motherhood, I wore this as both both a badge of honor and a kind of a straitjacket. I was resentful at times, sure, but also proud. And there was something immensely comforting to me about being able to comfort him at bedtime. The child psychologist Selma Freiberg wrote about a phenomenon she calls ghosts in the nursery, those unexamined, maybe even unremembered feelings from our own earliest days that haunt us when we become parents. We all have them, those unmet needs or wishes from our own childhood, the painful bits that creep in and affect how we parent. I'm sure I'm haunted by more than one, but the one I know best is the bedtime ghost. 
My mother followed what the parenting book said to do, and besides, she was a single mother of three children born within four years, grappling with her own demons. But my brothers shared a room while I was left alone in the dark, always wanting another song or story, crying myself to sleep every night. And yes, I turned out okay, I learned to self-soothe, and I know better than to blame my mother for what she couldn't give me. But I could never shake that ghost, that yearning, for someone to stay with me, to tell me every story, sing every song just right, to make me feel like a little baby that someone was going to take very good care of. So I sang to my kids years longer than I expected to, and I catered to my son's intense request that he hear every known version of his favorite song. Max's obsession with the three babies lasted more than a year. Then he slowly let back in the other songs, adding a few that were new to him, courtesy of his father. Now he's 10 and I don't sing to him anymore, but I still read to him until he falls asleep. And although I'm not having another baby to get out of this situation like I did last time, I can feel that our bedtime rituals are winding down. My kids will have their own ghosts, no doubt. But I know that the lullabies have been powerful against this one. After all, every night when the last song ends... The child is asleep, the baby is safe, and the ghost has slipped away. Thanks. That's it for Tantrum. We'll see you at our next show, Saturday, May 13th. I hope we do. Um, And we'll also see you in about two weeks with our next episode. Share this podcast with all your friends. It would be really great if you'd also give us some nice reviews and ratings on iTunes. That will help more people to find the show. Because raising kids is fun, but hard. Raising kids is life-changing and yet brain-rotting. This isn't easy, and despite it all, you are kicking ass. Until next time, I'm Allison Harney. And I'm Kate Sweeney. Thanks to Jeffrey Butzer for letting us use his song, Catherine, for our music. And thanks to Mike Johns for recording the live show at Kavarna. See ya. What's the I don't know. I put out the whole bit on. Oh, like a baby that will not fall asleep. This is my 